0: Last time we began to look at this passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and the instructions that Paul gives here regarding speaking in tongues. Verse 26, uh, he says, How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation? He says, Let all things be done. Unto edifying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue. uh, Now here's where he gives some specific instructions to them. About how this is to be practiced in the church. He says if any man speak in an unknown tongue. Let it be by two or at the most by three. And that by course. And let one interpret. Now again when you look at the, the modern tongues movement. All right. The modern tongues movement does not follow these instructions. And the reason they don't follow these instructions is because these instructions would work when tongues was something that God was doing and Paul's telling them here, you know, here's how to here's how to order that. If you have that gift of tongues and, you know, here's how you can you can control that and do it in an orderly fashion so that so that it can be an edifying thing. Right now, the modern tongues movement can't follow these instructions because, as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, the gift of tongues is something that passed away. And so they, rather than trying to, to, you know, control and order a gift of God, they're trying to work up something in themselves that God isn't doing today. OK, and and that's what these instructions, if if they were to try to follow these instructions, it wouldn't it wouldn't work. Um. So he says, first of all, that, you know, when you see in these tongue-speaking churches and, and everybody, literally everybody in that church is is mumbling in tongues, Paul says, don't do that. Um, that. That appears to be, you know, sort of what the Corinthian church was doing, and Paul's correcting that. And he says, you ought to have two or at most three people that are going to speak in tongues and they should do it by course not at the same time if everybody's all speaking at the same time nobody's getting any edification from that have two or three people in the service that are going to speak in tongues if they have that gift of tongues and they should do it by course which means they, they take turns to do it so one person is speaking at a time so everybody can hear what's what's being said um so he says, he says, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three and that by course and let one interpret. He says, if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Uh, so he says, if there's nobody there to interpret, then you shouldn't be speaking in tongues at all. You just be, you know, do it, to yourself, and he's not talking about sort of, sort of mumbling under your breath. He says, keep silent. He says, you know, if there's nobody there to interpret, just, just keep silent. Now, that tells you something also, by the way, um, the... Uh, in fact, if we read down just a few more verses, it talks about prophets. Verse 29 says, Let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, and that all may learn and all may be comforted. And verse 32 says, And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. The reason Paul says that they can have this kind of order in these services is is that their spirits are subject to themselves. So, he's not portraying here the speaking in tongues or prophesying as something that just sort of happens to you and you can't control it, right? If if he's going to say, if there's no interpreter, keep silent, obviously the idea would be that you have the ability to control that, uh, you know, that gift to an extent where you can choose not to speak, right? You have control, he says, the... If the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, then the spirits of the tongue speakers are subject to the tongue speakers. You have control over your own spirit. You can choose to speak or not to speak. Um, it's not—it's not something that comes, you know, and just like takes control of you, and you have no ability to to have any kind of order or anything like that. Um, so, so he says, you know, if there's nobody there to interpret, so that the message can can edify people, then keep silent. And just, you know, just speak to yourself and to God. God's going to know what you're saying. You don't have to say it out loud for God to know what you're saying. And he says, just do it silently. Uh, you see here, even though he puts that emphasis on prophecy, he, he puts an order there for the, the uh, function of that prophecy as well. And again, remember with this gift of prophecy, they don't have, they're at Corinth, A complete word of God where, you know, somebody can go and, and, you know, prepare a a message from a passage and explain the passage and that kind of thing. They were dependent here at this time on that gift of prophecy to reveal the word of God to them. Okay, So, so in the absence of the completed word of God, that gift of prophecy functioned. For the prophets to be able to declare what the will of God was, what the word of God was, until that time that that word would be complete. And so, so what he says to the prophets as well is, again, he says, let the prophets speak two or three and let the other judge. Instead of everybody all speaking at the same time, just like with the, with the tongue speakers, have two or three people speak. And again, the idea is that one person would be speaking at a time, not just sort of this confusion that appears to have been taking place there at Corinth. Uh, In fact, you see it says in verse 30, if anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace so that only one person is speaking. So, uh, you know, it tells the other prophets there that they can be judging what's being said uh, to confirm, you know, whether that lines up with what God is revealing to them. And if in the middle of one person talking, somebody else has some revelation from God, then the first one can hold his peace and, you know, let the other guy speak. So that there's understanding and there's order here in this service instead of the, what the picture you get of what was going on at Corinth is just sort of this confusion that was, taking place with everybody talking and and you know no real no real order to their service and paul's trying to set some of those things in order and again verse 32 that we or verse 31 says for ye may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and and all may be comforted. And he says the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. He says it's no no excuse to say that you just don't have any control over this gift. He says your spirit is subject to you, and you can choose to to, be quiet when it's appropriate to be quiet and to speak when it's appropriate to speak. Verse 33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. This confusion that was going on at Corinth was not characteristic of God. It wasn't reflecting who God was. And these same kinds of things that Paul is setting in order here at Corinth, again, the, you know, if, if somebody really believed that tongue speaking was for today, they ought to be following these rules. But they don't because they can't work up the kind of, the kind of uh, emotion and the kind of uh, atmosphere to... to Get people think that they're to think that they're speaking in tongues with this kind of order that's given here. It's the modern tongues movement is very dependent on a lot of different psychological techniques and things to sort of get people into this mindset to to prepare them to think that you know God's going to do this thing with them, and uh, it wouldn't work under these under these rules. So always keep that in mind. God's not the author of confusion. God's the author of peace. And that's what ought to, what ought to uh, characterize when the saints are going to come together and, and worship the Lord and, and uh, fellowship together. It ought not be that confusion that, that would be a mischaracterization of who God is, but it ought to reflect who God really is. Now, verse 34, here's another instruction. Uh, it says, Let your women keep silence in the churches now is paul saying that you know women shouldn't you know once you walk into the the church building uh, a woman can't talk or can't have a conversation um you you see if you read the whole thing he says let your women keep silence in the churches for it is not permitted unto them to speak but they are commanded to be under obedience as also saith the law, it says, if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Now, the context here again is speaking in tongues and prophesying, all right? he's He's not talking about just not being able to have a conversation in the in the church building, but he's talking about when the, when the saints are gathered together, there's a, there's a responsibility on the men to be the, the leaders in a, in a congregation. And here, when it comes to speaking in tongues and prophesying, he doesn't say that there aren't any women that have the gift of tongues. There, there certainly were, um, He's not saying there weren't any women that had the gift of prophecy. But what he's saying is that when the church comes together, this order that's going to reflect who, who God is and reflect this, this peace and, and these things, he's saying that the women ought to be under subjection. The men ought to be leading in that church. Um, and, and that's the silence he's talking about. He's talking about in the context of speaking in tongues of prophesying. Uh, he, says the other, he says the same thing uh, later in his epistles where he, he uh, talks about not suffering a woman to teach. Okay, And there is, a, there is an issue of the order there that God has put between men and women. God has set a, a general order that the man is the head of the woman. Uh, certainly in, you know, in marriage and, and in the home, God has set that order. And likewise, he, he's saying that the church shouldn't, it doesn't, it doesn't undo that natural order of the family. Um, now, if you think about the instruction that's given there, a lot of times people read it, people who want to be critical of the word of God, they read it and they just make it about being a restriction on, on women, and there certainly is a restriction there, but it also places a responsibility on men. Uh, when it says there about the, the women, if they'll learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, uh, it says, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church, that implies that husbands have a responsibility to be teaching their wives the word of God, right? Uh, when, it, when it talks about the women keeping silent in the churches, that implies that men have a responsibility not to be silent in the churches, Okay. And, and again, here, when you compare this with the modern tongues movement, you'll find that many of those churches, if not the majority of those churches, are primarily led by women, not by men. Now, again, not following the order that's given here with, with regard to tongues when they were in effect, okay? And um, again, you know, there's a, there's a, responsibility that's placed there uh, on the men to to provide that leadership now in fairness often what happens in churches if you look at most churches today that are led by women at one point they were led by men and the men stopped leading and the men often in many cases just either weren't interested in, in learning the things of God's word, weren't interested in taking the leadership in that church, and the women stepped in to, to fill in the role, and the men were happy with that, and the women were happy with that. But you see, it doesn't follow the order here, right? So so you can't focus just on the restriction without also understanding the responsibility that that places on the men with regard to that, to that uh, uh leadership there in the church. You can imagine, again, if you, if you sort of picture this picture that you get of the Corinthian church from this passage of just sort of everybody talking and, and you know, probably also talking and, and, you know, arguing about things and, and everybody's got, this guy's got a revelation, this guy's got a tongue, this guy's got an interpretation, and you've got, you know, women in these discussions with men and, and you know, those kinds of things. Paul's saying that's not what the order ought to be, okay? Uh, and, and he ends that chapter then, the last few verses there. Verse 36, he says what? Came the word of God out from you, or came it unto you only? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. So, you know, he he says there first of all that these things he's writing to them by the way verse 37 there is a good a good verse uh, regarding inspiration as Paul's writing these things to them these are not this isn't just Paul's recommendations it's not just Paul's advice he says, if somebody's really a prophet, if they're really spiritual, the thing they're going to acknowledge is that these things are the commandments of the Lord. Now I wouldn't doubt that when Corinth received this letter and they got these instructions, there were probably people there who said, That's too restrictive. Why why would we restrict the Spirit of God in that way? Aren't we the term people use today is they say, Aren't you putting God in a box? Right. Anytime, anytime you want to point out something that God has said about what he will do or won't do, people say, oh, you're putting God in a box. Um, And there were probably people who kind of had that thinking there at, at Corinth. But Paul puts that warning there for that purpose to say, listen, if somebody's really a prophet or they're really spiritual, which implies that there were people who were claiming to be prophets that were not, that there were people who were claiming to have spiritual gifts who did not. Right, he says, if somebody's really a prophet or spiritual, the way you're going to know it is if they acknowledge that these commandments I'm I'm writing to you are really the commandments of the Lord. If they're going to acknowledge these things, that these are really uh, not just Paul's words, but God's word, that's that's going to confirm that somebody really is a prophet. All right, and and I wouldn't doubt that when this letter got there, there was probably some some shakeup there at Corinth. With some people who who showed that they really weren't prophets by fighting against these things. Um, by the way, it also it also seems to indicate uh, as as the Word of God was being written, and again the the churches became less dependent on the gift of prophecy and more dependent on the Word of God that had been been you know written and revealed that part of the job of those prophets in the local churches became not just to not just to, to speak by direct revelation from god but to confirm the written word of god right now realize that that uh, we have these letters we have the canon of scripture which is inspired scripture realize there are all kinds of other letters that were being written that were not scripture and not only that, there were people who were writing letters to some of these churches, and they were signing it with Paul's name. And they were saying, this is, from, this is from Paul. That's why Paul writes to the Thessalonians, for instance, and he says that they shouldn't be troubled by word or by letter as from us. Because there were people who were teaching false doctrines, and they were saying it was from Paul or from Peter. Okay, some of these things are still preserved today. There are are, uh, letters and things that that, uh, have been discovered from that period of time that claim to be from uh, Peter or, or Paul or some of these other apostles. And it can be demonstrated that they're not. But part of the job of that prophet is when one of these letters would come to the church... The prophet could verify whether it was scripture, the commandments of the Lord, or whether it was just a letter. By the way, even if Paul wrote something, that doesn't—it doesn't necessarily mean that every letter that Paul wrote is scripture, right? So, for instance, he, as he's writing here, First Corinthians, uh, you see that that there was apparently another, you know, another letter that had been written to the Corinthians. Um, You see, uh, for instance, in, in one of his epistles, Paul mentions a letter that had been written to the church at Laodicea, okay? And so you have these other letters that are written. Sometimes people talk about there being lost books of the Bible because of that, but realize just because Paul wrote a letter doesn't mean it's inspired scripture, right? Not every letter that Paul wrote to Corinth or to some other church is inspired scripture, but he tells them that the prophets will be able to determine that this letter is inspired scripture and it's the commandments of the Lord. And so you already kind of see a hint of that shift that's taking place where uh, there's going to come a time where that gift of prophecy will fail and the prophets are not going to be speaking direct revelation from the Lord, but they're going to be speaking the written word of God. And here at that time, those with that gift of prophecy uh, could could. Acknowledge what was the Word of God and be able to sort out between these false letters and these letters that weren't scripture and what truly was the commandments of the Lord. Uh, that's why by the way, by, by the time you get out of that first century church, um, not not a hundred percent of the churches, but the vast majority of the churches were using the same books of the New Testament. There were heretical churches that, that you know were using other books and that kind of thing. But when finally, when hundreds of years later, when people sat down to say what's going to be the official canon of Scripture... The churches were already using all the same Scripture anyway. It wasn't as if they decided what books were going to be in or or what books were going to be out. That had taken place all the way back in the first century when you had these prophets in the local churches that could acknowledge what Scripture was the commandments of the Lord. And so Paul says there uh, that, that if somebody thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, he says, let him acknowledge that the things I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. And he says... If any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Um, You know, if somebody's going to fight against these things, if somebody's going to claim that these are not from the Lord, let them go their way. Let them them be ignorant and, you know, do whatever they're going to do. But he says in verse 39, Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Okay? Obviously, if God is still here at this time, as Paul's writing to them, if God is still uh, working through this gift of tongues, you wouldn't, you wouldn't forbid to speak with tongues. Otherwise, you'd be for, forbidding somebody to exercise this gift from God. Right? So, he says, don't forbid to speak with tongues. One of the things Paul knew about the Corinthians, by the way, is that the Corinthians, when you compare like 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul. some of the things that Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1st Corinthians, telling them to do, by the time he writes to them in 2nd Corinthians, they had kind of gone overboard in, in, you know, in doing what he told them to do, and he has to write back and say, okay, you know, kind of take it easy on these things. Um, and, and the same thing here, Paul knows, because he knows these saints at Corinth, here is he writes to them about putting these restrictions on tongues, that there might be some people there that would say, oh, well, we're supposed to covet the best gifts, so we're not going to let anybody speak in tongues. Well, that's not what he told them to do. He said, you know, do it two two or three. Uh, do it one at a time. Have somebody interpret. And so, you know, he does remind them there. Don't forbid to speak with tongues. Do it within this order as long as that, that uh, gift is operating. Um, but he says, covet to prophesy. Desire, he told them previously in the epistle, desire the best gifts. Okay, now again, none of that does away with what he wrote in the previous chapter. These instructions are for what was going on at the present then. In the previous chapter, he had told them there's going to come a time when those things are going to cease altogether. But until that time, he says, covet to prophesy. That's what's going to to be the most edifying in the church. Don't forbid to speak in tongues, but he says, let all things be done decently and in order. All right, now... We, you know, in looking at these things in Corinthians, we've kind of we've kind of jumped ahead from where we were at back in the book of Acts. But the the you know the thing is there there are people today that talk about how we need to get back to Pentecost. But you see in in jumping ahead in that way and going through those instructions, you see that what began there on at Pentecost and especially the speaking in tongues there and and other you know certainly there were other signs and and things too what began there is not what what is normative for the church the body of Christ in the dispensation of grace what began there on the day of pentecost had a specific purpose with regard to Israel and and uh, next time we'll you know, we'll look more at that and see a little bit more about that and that purpose for Israel. It had something to do with what God was doing with Israel, that he was going to speak to them with another tongue and they still weren't going to hear. He was going to do this miraculous work and they still weren't going to hear and they still weren't going to listen. And and so when we read these things here in Acts chapter 2, uh, don't read those things and think, Oh, everything that's going on there is what we ought to be doing today. Because we see as you go into the epistles, you see how those things were passing away. And Paul said how they were going to pass away in connection with with uh, the completion of the word of God. And that purpose with Israel ceases to exist once the, the difference between Jew and Gentile is done away. And so... so uh, you know in the next in the next message we'll continue looking there in acts 2 and those things that happened but realize they had a specific purpose with what God was doing with Israel at the time and even though some of those things were carried over into the early body of Christ that doesn't mean they were going to continue all through the dispensation of grace by the way the you know we looked several weeks ago at the the signs in mark 16 that it said would follow them that believe right and it said they would speak in new tongues it also said they would cast out devils it said that they would uh, take up serpents they would be able to drink poison and it wouldn't hurt them you know you have all of those things evident in the apostle paul's gentile ministry and an Another part, when, when Paul quotes that verse, and he says that tongues are for a sign to them that believe not, uh, you know, you might wonder, well, if this had this purpose with regard to Israel, why do it in the body of Christ at all? But remember, there's a transition that takes place there. And remember that how are these, how are these Jewish apostles there who've experienced this on the day of Pentecost, how are they going to accept The truth of what God's doing among the Gentiles later with Paul unless they see those same signs evident and so a lot of these things in the body of Christ had the purpose of demonstrating to Israel that this really was God working with the Gentiles that's why the Gentiles speak with tongues that's why you had these things early on in among the Gentiles was as a sign to Israel that God's doing something with them and and that's something to watch for as we you know as we continue through the book of acts uh, in these lessons to to watch for the part that those signs played in that in that demonstration of what god was doing among the gentiles and that's where we're going to close for today um let's close with prayer lord god i i thank you for uh this these things from your word we thank you for these instructions. And and again, just thank you for the the clarity that your word brings. We we, uh, thank you that you are not a god of confusion. You're not the author of confusion. And uh, that same order that we see in your word, that same order that you've evidenced in creation, that same order that you've, you've evidenced all, you know, all throughout uh, everything that you've revealed of yourself. We pray that that order would be evident among us, that it would be uh, evident in our own individual lives, and it would be evident among us uh, in, our, in our fellowship together and our, our worship of you. We thank you for the, the uh, truth of the gospel. Uh, thank you for the clarity of it as well. And, and pray that as your word in, in this passage we've been looking at emphasizes uh, that understanding that we would seek as we share the gospel with those around us, that we would seek to, to uh, impart understanding with a focus on your word because we know that's where the power is. And uh, we, we, just, we thank you for that uh, powerful word, that word that uh, takes up residence in us and, and works effectually in us as we believe it. And uh, we thank you as well for the, the comfort of your word. Um, we thank you that, that uh, no, matter, no matter what circumstances we're going through in life, uh, we thank you for the, the hope and the peace that we find there in your word. We thank you in the name of our Lord and Savior, in Jesus' name, amen. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone, 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.